Kia ora friends, it's Strawn here from Commoners Communion. I want to do something a little bit different on the podcast today. A couple of weeks ago, some friends of mine at Central Vineyard here in New Zealand asked me to sort of write a letter to them in that kind of New Testament epistle sense because they were in lockdown and visiting. I was meant to speak there on the Sunday. I couldn't get up there. So they kind of asked visiting speakers to write these epistles and my epistle was based on the fruit of the spirit of goodness. And I really enjoyed the process. So I've kind of taken that letter and shuffled it a little bit uh, and addressed it to you, my commoners communion Fano, and thought I would share it with you today. So here it is. To the saints in the commoners' communion family, greetings from Aotearoa, New Zealand. In this global moment of seemingly never-ending tension, I'm praying that God's grace and presence is powerfully with you in the harder moments, and that this season of your life, despite what circumstances may try to dictate, you would experience the goodness of God. The goodness of God. It's a statement that can lose meaning to us with overuse or in the face of such a tumultuous world. Sometimes it's hard to look out and say that. Other times harder even still to say it over our own individual circumstances. When we have friends, family or others going through real trials, how can we say God is good in the face of such real suffering? I know that struggle well. It's a struggle I've felt throughout nearly seven years of chronic sickness, as I've often shared with you. The reality is, in this last season, I've been more crook again, and my battle to say, God, you are good, in the midst of wave after wave of tests, life-altering diagnoses, and the disappointment of long periods of immobilization has been under duress yet again, and yet... I can say with all my heart and soul that truly God is good. Scripture is full of the reality of God's goodness, not just in the things He does, but in His very nature. In the times of the Exodus, after the descendants of Abraham had suffered slavery for 400 years, we hear them calling Him by the name, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. In Exodus 34, 6. Psalm 135, 3 demands that we give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, His love endures forever. And of course, in Galatians 5, we hear that goodness is a fruit of the Spirit, because the fruit can only bear from the vine that gives it life. Apples come from apple trees, Grapes come from grapevines, and goodness comes from a good God. God does good things, not because he tries or needs to, but because it's all he can do. Goodness himself can only do good things. But this presents a problem for many of us, because sometimes our experience would have us believe otherwise. 
I know personally in my hardest moments, in the first years of my sickness, it wasn't self-evident that God was good and doing good things in my life. I couldn't see it, feel or acknowledge it. Enter the Transcendentals. The Transcendentals are a philosophical trilogy of the moral fabric of the universe. The Transcendentals are a philosophical trilogy of the moral fabric of the universe first made famous by the Greek philosophers, specifically Plato um, and Socrates. Stay with me, we're going somewhere here. They suggested that divine things and the divine being must manifest truth, beauty and goodness simultaneously. In other words, beauty must almost in other words, beauty must also be good to be truly beautiful. And goodness must also be true to be truly good, and so on. They called the transcendentals because philosophically they considered the meta-reality of the cosmos, and that truth has remained so for millennia since their coining. Christian theologians have maintained the same belief too because we believe that God's goodness is irremovable from his truth and his beauty. They give context to each other. Because it's possible to say something is good when in fact it is not. If anyone could define goodness however they saw it themselves, then goodness would lose all its quality. I may say that it's good, for example, to keep all of my money to myself. You may say it's good to give my money to the poor. Without truth, goodness is unanchored and meaningless as is any fruit of the Spirit that we have kind of covered, as is any fruit of the Spirit. The reason God is good isn't just because he makes us feel good or because he's a quote-unquote good guy. God is good because everything he does is true and beautiful. And the reality of that truth especially is that it's often far beyond our reality to fully comprehend. Jesus was good not just because he loved the sick and the poor and died for our sins, but because he preached and lived and taught the truth. It was good when he convicted the Pharisees, for example, by asking them without sin to cast the first stone on the adulterer. But it was also true because he told her to go and sin no more. Many of us would feel comfortable applauding those today who defend the unnecessary villainization of people uh, found or discovered or revealed in sexual sin. But would we apply the same passion and principle of goodness to inviting them to obey the truth as well? The law of the transcendentals, and more importantly, the witness of Jesus Christ, would say that goodness requires the presence of both. Jesus was good precisely because he was true. This is where the rubber hits the road for you and I in the culture we find ourselves in. Goodness in our post-Christian culture has largely become detached from truth. Goodness tends to be whatever the prevailing cultural wind asserts it to be. 
There's a painful confusion about the goodness of God because how could a good God, for example, want me to wait until I'm married to have sex with the one I love or to stay in a friendship, marriage or job that makes me unhappy or to refrain from heavy drinking when I just want to have some fun or for me personally, how could a good God not heal me when I'm so sick? The reason we may struggle to accept the truth of God's goodness in these circumstances is that our culture, our postmodern culture, has largely located the definition of truth in what we feel, what's internalized, rather than what we believe and what's externalized. In other words, if you or I don't feel like God is good, or if we sense he's asking us to commit to something or a way of life that doesn't feel good to us, then our response is to charge God with the conviction of being wrong, of being ungood, and not ourselves. I believe I stand with the witness of Christ and Scripture when I say that as Christians we are called to something far more deeper than that. But what's the alternative? What does it look like to be made into the shape of God's goodness and not our own culture's? Well, first, it means abiding in God's goodness. It's not just about any kind of prayer. It's about praying with our belief, conforming to God's truth. It's praying with the disposition that God is the most good person in the cosmos, that his will for us is good, that everything he does is good, and that he is far more good than anything else in our lives. We won't abide in God's goodness if we don't believe it. And we believe it not because, our feel, because of our feelings, but because of the witness of Christ and Scripture. If that sounds circular to you, you're right. Welcome to the definition of faith. And I know that's not necessarily easy either. How can we believe God is good when we can't feel it? Well, we do that by abiding in the Scriptures that proclaim it by memorizing them and meditating on them, by speaking to our thoughts and feelings the way Psalm 135.3 does, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. The truth of God's goodness won't happen by accident. It will take a reform of our minds and feelings and the humility that just because we don't understand it doesn't make it less true. Prayer, I believe, is the home of experiential knowledge when it comes to God, where theology becomes reality. Practicing sitting in and with the good God will make God good in your world. Or in the language of the Lord's Prayer, it will make God's kingdom come here on earth or in me as it is in heaven. But there's another important element to bearing the fruit of God's goodness in our lives, and it comes with a bit of an unapologetic bite. And that's through obedience to Christ's good commands. That's why in the same passage about abiding in John 15, Jesus also says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That's John 15 verse 10. Goodness is not subjective. It is not an emotion or an intention, at least not totally. 
It's not being a quote-unquote nice guy or a moral wet wipe. Too harsh, maybe. I'm not sure. It's a life of obedience to the gospel of Christ as taught in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the reality is that it sometimes doesn't look like the goodness. Uh, it sometimes doesn't look like goodness to the world around us. It didn't to Jesus' contemporaries. It didn't to Rome. And it often hasn't throughout history. We can't bear the fruit of goodness without obedience to the teachings of Christ. Abiding in prayer, though it is our first point port of call, and I believe it always should be, won't make us into the shape of goodness if we're refusing to forgive those who hurt us, sleeping with people outside marriage, in thought or in deed, over-drinking, keeping money to ourselves and using our tongues as weapons. That's profoundly challenging for all of us. But that's why the gospel is no cheap invitation. It's a call to a life of goodness through the Spirit in obedience to the truth. If you're looking for a plumb line to discover whether the goodness you're living is God's goodness, a goodness based in truth, I recommend reading Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and holding your life to that standard. Because that's what goodness looks and feels like. It has teeth, conviction, care, and the power of radical love. That's the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. But what about me and my own ability to pronounce God's goodness in my enduring illness? This is where I feel so much good news, so much joy and freedom. Because when in my sickness and confusion, I have no way of seeing or knowing what God is doing in my life is good, I can throw myself with abandon on the cosmic truth of His goodness. Not because I understand it or see it, but because it's true. By trusting that God is good, even when I can't see it, I shape my experience to reality, capital R, reality himself. I force myself to accept true goodness, and my suffering is made good. In other words, a goodness rooted in truth saves me from my feelings. It calls me beyond myself. This gospel is a powerful reversal of the tide of our age. It makes goodness an objective reality we submit to, something to free us from our mental prisons and physical disorientation. Goodness becomes a refuge for people like me, who need a way out of my head, of my sense-making, and into the experiential reality of God. Friends, God is immeasurably good. He is magnificent, and beautiful and wonderful. I know that to be true in another bedridden year like this one has been for much of it, as any other, because it's simply reality, something I can give my feelings and experience to be shaped after. So, may you experience the magnitude of God's goodness in your suffering, in your daily life, in your prayerful experiences, that you may become a conduit of that gritty goodness 
in a world unanchored from the Christ who loves it. Your friend, brother, and fellow pilgrim in love, Strong.